Hello, and welcome to Books the Podcast, the only podcast about books. I'm Tim. I'm Tom. And we're booksmen. Through and through. Pride and Prejudice. That's a, that's a book. It's a book. All right. Yeah. <laughs> that I should won be... That. I won that that uh, that showdown. What you said wasn't a book. Uh, there might be a book called Through and Through. It's been said in books. I know that for a fact. That's true. That is. So I guess that's technically. A you know what? I don't reference. know. I don't know it for a fact. I can't think of a book that's used it, but I'm sure I've read one that's used it. Uh, and hey, if you want to, you know, leave a comment uh, arguing that. The term through and through has never been used in a book. Uh, email us with your evidence, and we'll Tom, see you in court. Good news. Uh, through and through, treasured in the Arab-American literary community, through and through is a collection of 10 broadly interrelated stories originally published in 1990. That was the of, book I was referring to. Yeah, one of the first books of modern Arab-American fiction, uh, Giha? Joseph Geha? Mm-hmm. His stories offer a warm, inspired portrait of an extended Arab family in a Lebanese and Syrian community in Toledo, Ohio, spanning decades between the 1930s and the present. And now it's spelled T H R E W T H R E W, right? No. Oh, no. Are you I'm thinking of like a baseball a, book? I'm thinking of uh, uh, Nolan Ryan's autobiography. Through and through. You know what? Uh, if 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 he announced his retirement in his book, or if he, was, he wrote a book about quitting baseball, <laughs> oh. and it was like T-H-R-E-W and T-H-R-O-U-G-H. Oh, what a great... I threw, and now I'm through. Boy, if any professional Major League Baseball pitchers are out there looking, looking to retire and write an autobiography, holy... And announce your retirement in an autobiography, which would be a really weird thing to do, <laughs> right. because you need so much lead time it would leak out i don't know you could write it during the off season sell yeah, you... sell it you know you're out there pitching it uh, uh. <laughs> right and you bring that up during during the pitch meeting isn't it weird uh to get a pitch like this from me and a then book. <laughs> normally i'd pitch a baseball oh i thought you were going to say in the meeting, you would say, is it weird to get a pitch like this for me? And then you would throw a fastball at somebody uh, at, at the head of the company sitting at the other end of the table. Yeah, the most senior man in the room. Right. You throw a, a fastball right at his <laughs> gourd. <laughs> yeah, it does a real, you, you really put some heat on it. A, a, 90, a 99 mile an hour fastball right at his head kills him dead. Right. You become that by by uh, the business rules. You become CEO, right? And then you then put, you can publish whatever you want. And you can keep it under wraps, right? You can put out a uh, 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 a ghost written autobiography of that guy, and it would uh, you could title it "Beamed." He got beamed in the head. Okay, yeah. Or like, uh, uh, could be the title could be like uh, the 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 places the places I've been. I mean, also through and through would would work for the. Well, for the you're title not going to give too. it to that guy. 
Were you going to give away your best title to the guy you just killed with a fastball? Were you out of your mind? I mean, you're, but you're head of the company now. Yeah, you're, but you're you profiting still, off that. No, but you're making double with with your book, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, food for thought for any major league pitchers. <laughs> Out there listening, thinking yeah. about retiring. Yeah, I mean, it could happen anytime. This could be five years down the line, ten years down the it's line. It's true, yeah. Somebody could be listening to it now, and they might be a pitcher at the top of their game, and they might be thinking, I'm not going to be retiring anytime soon. But Do you think there'll be books in 10 years? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be a civilization in 10 years. Yeah. There's cer- not here. Certainly not baseball. <laughs> um, but, uh, okay, so, yeah, through and through, uh, what, what, what did you say? Pride and Prejudice, which <laughs> I actually, <laughs> which... I, I, I Googled, that's actually not that's, not, that's not a real book. I don't know where I got that impression. Uh, how would you spell prejudice? That that might have been where you uh, where you fell where you fell through with uh, three T's. Exactly where you'd think they'd be. I don't think there's even one T in prejudice. Prejudiced. Yeah, you're right. There's at least two T's in there. Yeah. Uh, Tim, this week we are continuing our uh, initial journey with. Uh, Easy Rollins. The easy the original Easy Rider. Yeah, Ezekiel Rollins. Uh do you remember Adventures in New Orleans? No, he's he's in Los Angeles. Yeah, but at some point does he go to New Orleans? No, he's from Dallas. Texas. Yeah. Uh no, he might be from Houston. I'm sorry. I forget. He's from Texas. I forget if it's Dallas or Houston. They're the same. <laughs> oh boy, a bunch of a bunch of cowboys just threw their hats at the ground. They're, they're shooting their guns in their air, in the air. Ooh. One of them just used a spur to uh, make the horse jump up, <laughs> and the other one just kicked over a spittoon and got a guy all soaked in uh, in tobacco juice. Yeah, someone got so mad they found a guy that looked like uh, like me. And, uh, and put him in a barrel of water. Uh, do you remember what happened when we last left uh, Easy Rollins? Yeah. Uh, so Easy Rollins, uh, he he found that lady that that mm. bad man was looking for. Daphne Monet. Yeah. Um, some teens uh, were gonna were, were were giving Easy Rollins a hard time. Some white teens. Yeah. At, at the then, pier. Yeah, and then this the bad dude came mm-hmm. and uh, made them apologize and threatened to kill them. Yeah, um, and Easy realized like, look, this guy's not a good guy. He's gonna turn on me at some point. Right. Um, he got arrested. Mm-hmm. Easy um, did. Yeah, and he didn't know why. He later found out that um, his friend's lady, who he almost hooked up with, yeah, um, was murdered. Yes, Coretta. Coretta. Uh, yeah, it was killed. Um, and then uh, he and Daphne Monet got together to do something, and she kind of dropped the whole act. She doesn't have an accent anymore. Well, that was after they found her friend Richard McGee dead with a uh, knife uh, in his uh, chest. 
That'll do it. Yeah, she she was like, oh, just give me a ride to this guy's house. And then when once once she saw him, she's like, Sackley Blue, I gotta get the hell out of here. Uh, and then uh, did anything else happen? Oh, and then Easy called his friend in Dallas or whatever. Yeah, uh, Mouse. Mouse. Right. Um, but Mouse is also a bad guy. Well, Mouse is a, a friend of his that Mouse, like, asked him, like, hey, you want to do a favor for me? Uh, I need to get, like, you know, I'm owed this inheritance. I'm going to go talk to my stepfather. He's like, yeah, sure, I'll go for a ride. And then he killed his stepfather. And I forget uh, another guy. And uh, he was like, oh, God, I don't like being a part of this. Yeah. How many do you think stepfathers are killed at a greater rate than uh, other members of society? Yeah, probably. Right? The question is, are they killed more often than fathers? Probably, Probably right? per capita, yeah. Yeah, because it's always like, did you fuck my mom? <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know if it's always like that. I mean, also, if somebody's your stepfather, I think it's like presumed... Yeah, you know, but that, 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 that would make me angry. With the marriage was consummated. Well, um, I think that's an underlying anger. I don't think that's like the stated reason why uh, stepfathers yeah, are killed. More, more than often. like a traditional Oedipal, like um, every uh, son wants to kill his father because they're, they're in love with their mom or whatever. Yeah. Right? I think it's the... Uh, Stepfather's like, and hey, I don't even friggin' know this guy. Well, I don't know if whether or not they're edible has anything to do with it, but yeah, I think you're probably right. So, uh, is that where we left off with Easy? Uh, more or less. I'm looking at uh, my notes. Um, do you think the character of Daphne Moon in <laughs> uh, Frasier was based on Daphne Monet? I don't. I don't think so. Um, the, the last thing that happened was when, uh, easy goes back home. He notices that, I think he notices that like his gates open or his gates not latched. And he's like, uh, Oh, right. Yeah. And Albright is, uh, waiting at his house. Uh, he had one of his goons open the door with, uh, with a screwdriver and easy is like, Ah, what would you do if I did that to you? And he, he says, I'd rip your N-word head off. So it's like, oh, yeah, Easy was 100% right. This guy Albright is just like an extremely violent bad man. A bad man. Yeah. Uh, he threatens Easy. Uh, he wants Easy to find Frank. Frank is old knife hand, remember? Because Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we know that like Daphne and knife hand have been seen together. Uh, this is why. This is when I was like, "There's too many characters for me to keep <laughs> track of." Yeah, and he tells him he's got three days, and it's actually after that he sleeps all day, and then he calls Etta May back in Texas looking for Mouse. But Etta May is like, you know, like me and Mouse split up uh, years ago. Like, I yeah, I don't know where he is or whatever. And he's like, "All right, goodbye." Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, goodbye. Talk so, to you later. So, uh, chapter 17, uh, uh, am I missing something? 
look, here's the thing with, with these chapters. So I actually read these chapters early, earlier than I was even expected to, because this book's very good. And for a few of these chapters, I was like, I don't want to take real studious notes because I'm enjoying the book. So mm. look, you're going to have to go out and buy the book. If, if you want Me? it. No. Uh, anyone who's like, they skipped a part. I'm not going to skip a part, but I forget exactly what. Tom, people have to pay to listen to you tell a story <laughs> and they have to go and buy the book yeah, themselves. Ca- Look, Tim, the podcast cannot, it's not fair use if it serves as a replacement for the book. I don't think any anybody who wrote any of the books we've covered would be like, that's just as good as reading my book, <laughs> hearing these two drunk idiots explain it. <laughs> um, but he's going, uh, I forget how he found... We're providing, Tom, valuable analysis. Yeah, I forget how he found this person, but he's going to confront somebody about all this. Um and he uh, all the murders no like everything that's going on it's like the the dude who hmm, i'm i'm trying to like quickly look through my notes but it's like who's kind of behind all this because like albright dewitt albright is not necessarily like somebody hired him to like take care of this um and i think it's that he gives I think DeWitt gives uh, Easy like a, a business card and Easy's like, all right, I'm going to go, you know, follow this up. Anyway, uh, he goes to like a, a nice office building in L.A. I mean, I have a lot of notes about how he was looking out the window and there was an Angus Steakhouse across the street. And I was like, oh, they had Angus Steak? Uh, was yeah. it 1948? Uh, yeah, 1948. Yeah, I don't think that's... I thought Angus Steak was invented, like, 2005. When you learned about it? Yeah, well, it became a big thing. Have you never heard of Black Angus Steakhouse? I've heard of Angus Young. Yeah, me too. I've heard a lot of his work. Have you... So you've heard of Black Angus Steakhouse in 1948? I mean... No, I, but the moment I was born in 1982, I did. So he, he's, he's in this place. He's watching Black Angus Steakhouse opened mm-hmm. in 1964 and they couldn't have been the first ones to hear about Angus steak. Well, all right, then I stand corrected. Um, well, and also, yeah, like, of course, like they're not lying in this book. So this uh, this Angus Steakhouse, it sounds pretty cool because they've got a, a beef eater, uh, w- which is very appropriate, standing outside, uh, you know, as a doorman. Tom, do you know that there's an uh, Angus.org? I mean, um, I, I could have assumed. It's the American Angus Association, um, and they have a... Uh, uh, an, uh, an annual convention. Oh. Surely it's um, been postponed this year. Elevate it's online. your game at the Angus convention. It's it's open to anyone? Yeah, I bet are these the are these the guys that uh tried to take down Oprah? Oh, for the mad cow thing? 
Yeah. No, I think that was like the general beef consensus. I think the Angus steak people, even during like the mad cow thing, were like, we're good. People we're know above it. Yeah. People know Angus steak isn't going to get you sick. It's it's the other crap. I mean, you you have this reverence for Angus steak, <laughs> and I think you learned about yeah, it when I have I think a reverence that marketing when, has taught me. <laughs> Wait, I think you became aware of it when McDonald's introduced an Angus burger. Yeah, it was a big deal for them to dip their toe into this water. Um, so yeah, uh, he's just so he's at this office building. An extremely nice office building. And <laughs> what? <laughs> the American Angus Association has the audacity to to just uh, refer to themselves as triple A. That's not, <laughs> not going to work, What guys. do the race stand for? Well, Angus Association of America. America American Angus Association. Okay. But it's just like, guys, that's taken. You can't, <laughs> you're not, not going to be AAA. AAA has <laughs> been around longer than. It's like when, uh, when like, sorry, National Restaurant Association. I'm never going to, I'm never going to hear NRA and be right. like, oh yeah, those are the restaurateurs. But I'll tell you what, uh, uh, what a world it would be. No, the, the, the World Wildlife Foundation, they won. They, they turned WWF into WWE. Yeah. Which I Man, thought was impossible. I cannot believe Vince McMahon was so weak. Yeah. As to get cucked by a freaking, uh, <laughs> animal rights organization. Right. Yeah. Trying Boy, to save Vince the pandas. McMahon, what a weak idiot. Yeah. Oh, Tim, he would give you uh, such a body slam if he heard you. I know. You. This 76-year-old man would beat the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Easy's in the in this uh, uh, building. Shit. What is their business? I forget. I don't know. It's, it's not really important. Tom, you don't have to keep admitting <laughs> like just omit stuff i'm not yeah. gonna know so he's uh like the the receptionist is like no you can't go see this guy he's like i can go see this guy and like basically just keeps like saying shit like that nobody wants said out loud like i'm i'm here to see about you know the this woman daphne monet it's like so finally it's like to shut him up the guy comes out and sees him and then he's like, I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to, like, the main guy. And I forget, he does some cool thing to, like, get the guy to to tell, to be like, all right, fine. Uh, but then I do have notes uh, because it was pretty cool. He's like, here you go. And he opens up a door. And the door is a little tiny elevator. And it's an elevator that's, like, padded. But there's a bench and an ashtray inside. It sounds like a very mm. nice private elevator. Yeah, I'd like to smoke in an elevator one day. Yeah, and he rides the elevator. He's like, this elevator is so slow and smooth, I couldn't even tell it was moving. But he gets out, and um, uh, yeah, it's this guy, Carter. And uh, he's like... Talking John to Carter from Mars? No, it's not John Carter from Mars. Uh, but it's this guy Carter and like, he's figured out, he's like, 
Look, somebody's in love with Daphne Bonet, and that's what all this is about. That's why they're trying to find her. And he figures out it must be whoever's in charge of this place. And he, like, point blank asks this guy, like, you're the guy, right? You're in love with Daphne Bonet. He's like, yeah, I am. Uh, I'm in love with Lisa Bonet. No, (laughs) this is way before Lisa Bonet was uh, even born. And she's taken. Thank you very much. Lenny Kravitz. Is it Lenny Kravitz? Oh no! But no, it's you... Aquaman. No, it, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's uh, Jason Momoa. But isn't Zoe Kravitz Lisa Bonet's I, I daughter? I think so. Yeah, but that was hey Tim, get with the times. That was a long time ago. Sorry, I just wish those two would Lenny have made, made Lenny Kravitz since then has split his pants, and we've all seen his dick. Um. So uh, this guy Carter is like, yeah, I love Daphne. Uh, she took $30,000 in a suitcase. And mind you, this is, you know, 1948. That's like a $30,000 is a lot of money now. It was a lot, a lot of money back then. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he says, he tells Easy that this guy Richard uh, that got stabbed was a, pedo- a pedophile pimp and that he's glad he's dead. Oh, at this at this point, I forget which one of them says she was wearing a blue dress, and I was like, "Oh, like the like the title." Ah. Um. Uh, and then Easy says he told me he told me things a man should never tell another man, like how Daphne would hold him to her breast when he was afraid and stand up for him when a shopkeeper or waiter walked all over him. <laughs> Different times, Tom. Well, and, Tom, and thirty thousand dollars in nineteen forty-eight dollars is like three hundred and twenty-nine thousand dollars. That's why I figured, yeah. Uh, so ten times as much, uh, a little bit more. Uh, but he's like, basically, Easy's like, yeah, this guy uh, like poured his heart out to me. But then he says, "Look, this is actually like the worst kind of racism." Because he's like, he talked to me like I wasn't black, but he also talked to me like I wasn't a person. That it was just like he was telling a dog his problems. That, you know. I mean, I've never told the dog my problems. Oh, I tell my dog all my problems constantly. Do you talk to your dog about serious stuff when nobody's around? Uh, Not all the time, but sometimes I run things by her just to see what she thinks. Yeah. Like what? Like about what kind of dog food you're going to buy her next? No, that... Look. Do you ever solicit her advice for anything? Yeah, but she never gives me good advice. It's always the way wrong advice. Look, my dog's lost me a lot of money. No, it's like, you know, investment. And it never works out. Yeah, I mean, um, she's a dog, and she's not all that smart even for a dog. Uh, no offense. How dare you? She's very smart for a dog, but all dogs are pretty you smart. You know, Ginger and I have a bit of a rivalry going on. <laughs> a rivalry? Yeah. Over what? Uh, I just feel like, uh, you know, we're always trying to one-up each other. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's a one-sided feeling. Um, But... uh, uh. So, yeah, uh, he's just like, this guy doesn't give a shit about me. 
Um, and he said that he's, <laughs> I love, I wrote this line, uh, verbatim. He said, he's like a baby who grows to be man sized and terrorizes his parents with his strength and stupidity. And I was like, is that an actual thing? <laughs> was that something that happened in the forties? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's an accurate representation. Of it's like, accurate, but but he doesn't say it's like as if he was. <laughs> he's like, like one of those babies. He's one of those giant babies that overpowers yeah. his parents. Uh, so Carter offers Easy a thousand dollars to find her, and he says, uh, uh, "You know what? I don't. I don't know if I can find her. Give me a hundred and fifty dollars deposit." I'll try and find her. And if I do, you pay me the full amount. Um, and basically, like this guy Carter is like, oh, I don't, I only have, I don't know, $1,000 bills or whatever. So he pays him like, I don't know, 120, 130. He's like, ah, that's fine. Um, but then he thinks to himself that he's going to milk these people for all they've got because money is the only way he can buy his freedom back. Um, oh. Chapter 18, next chapter. He's like, all right, I got to find Frank Green, knife hand. Frank Green is the key to all this. I got to find him or else I'm going to get killed or put in jail for these, for, you know, this, uh, this murder, Coretta, and now this Richard McGee guy. Uh, so he goes to this pool hall, Ricardo's pool hall. Um mm. This chapter is when things get, I, I've liked the book uh, all along, but this is when he gets into like real detective mode. Okay. This is, the first, this is when he's like trying on being a detective for size. So he doesn't go to the pool hall and go like, hey, anybody seen uh, Frank Green? Because of course, then everybody be like, no. And then they'd be like, hey, Frank Green, guess what? Uh, this guy Easy's been asking about. It. He's been looking for you. I maybe, mean, I feel like this has been. Maybe Easy's... you want to use one of those uh, knife hands you're so famous for on him. This is. I mean, the, this has been his tactic the entire time. Just ask for people under different names. This is the third time he's done this. Yeah, but now he's yeah, like he's a one trick pony. <laughs> Look, it's a good trick. Um, so he doesn't ask for Frank. He asks uh, where he can buy whiskey because he knows um, Frank sells like whiskey that, you know, fell off the back of the truck. Um, and he, he feel he's like excited. He's like, this is the first time I've done uh, uh, something for myself. Like I'm working for myself. I'm not working for anybody else. He goes to this guy, Vernie's uh, or I'm sorry, woman, Vernie's brothel. Uh, to to find out more Were information. You like, oh, now things are getting interesting. Well, I was excited because uh, they at, he said when he went to the brothel, like in the lobby, I guess they had, which sounds disgusting for the lobby of a brothel. They had a big dish of uh, dirty rice. Have you ever had dirty rice? Um, I have had dirty rice. Well, I That's not what you're thinking. <laughs> Nude rice. Um. Well, I had just made dirty rice for myself uh, uh, just that week. So I was like, look at this. Uh, uh, the the one I got, I got like a package of it. It wasn't as good as it sounded it should have was been. Was it Zatarans? No, it was Goya. Um, Ooh, Tom, you're not I know, to. I know. They're canceled and I forgot. Uh, it just wasn't nearly as flavorful as it seemed like it should be. So I'm going to try making it from scratch. But anyway, this brothel had a big plate of rice out for people to eat. Um, 
And he talks to this guy, Ronald. Ronald's there uh, looking for, uh, you know, a, a sex worker. And uh, he says, uh, Ronald is 34 and has nine sons and one on the way. <laughs> uh, and he's so easy, feels bad for him, buys him a whiskey. And he's like, you know, orders a whiskey. He's like a bottle for my friend, my new friend, Ronald here. Or no, I think he might have known Ronald. But he's like a bottle for Ronald. And they're like, all right, that's $3. He's like, $3? Boy, what a great price that is. How can I buy whiskey at that kind of a price? <laughs> uh, knowing what? knowing that Frank supplies them with the uh, whiskey. So thinking okay. that they would be like, oh, this guy, Frank, yeah, we'll set you up. But he's like, no, uh, Huey handles it. Huey's like the, the bouncer. And he's like, no, Huey's scary as hell. I'm not going to ask him anything. <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, Ronald talks to him about how he just wants to run away from his family because he's like, I go home and all these kids, it's a nightmare. There's so many kids. They're all boys. They're all crazy. And uh, he says, Ronald didn't have any chance to be happy unless he broke his family's heart. <laughs> Why is everybody like confiding in each other in this book? Because easy is easy to talk to. Tim, that's yeah. what makes him such a great detective. He's very okay. personable. Um and he says it was it was in those two days more than anything that made me feel like a detective. Um but yeah, he doesn't he doesn't get anything, so he moves along. He goes to the barber shop, uh this guy Ernest. And there's a guy named Zeppo outside, not Zeppo Marx. One of the Marx brothers, Zeppo no, Marx. No, not, not Zeppo Marx. Uh, this guy Zeppo, who has uh, cerebral palsy and is an alcoholic. Well, that's not none of that's funny. <laughs> exactly. But Zeppo Marx, he's funny. Right. That's that's why this. I is assume not... I never really found any of the Marx brothers all that funny. <laughs> uh. So uh, he he goes to this barbershop and there's like, I don't know, like kind of a fight breaks out between a guy in the back and a guy who comes in. There are people in the back playing dice and a guy comes in and uh, he's like, all right, I'm going to get out of here. Um, he leaves with the guy who I think was in the back, Jackson. Um, and, oh, he. Yeah, this, this uh, character trait made me uncomfortable. He said uh, uh, Jackson touches his thing when he's nervous. Um, you know, is it the forties? <laughs> right. Um, so anyway, he's like, "Hey, uh, Jackson, like, uh, I I want to buy some whiskey. You probably know somebody." And Zeppo uh, over here is, and he's like, "Oh, great! I am an alcoholic. I'd love some whiskey." Um, oh no, Zeppo said, Zeppo says that to Jackson and then, uh, Easy's like, yeah, I'd like to buy some whiskey too. Jackson gets nervous and asks, uh, why he's looking for Frank. He's like, I'm not looking for Frank. Who said that? Um, and he's like, well, all right, I know somebody who might be able to get you whiskey. Like, let's, let's go there. And then they go to this liquor store run by, uh, Johnny and Abe who are uh, two uh, uh, Jewish uh, uh, survivors of the Holocaust. Okay. They were both from Auschwitz. Um, and, like, 
just a couple of years removed. Yeah, exactly. So they so he tells the story about them where uh, it's Johnny and Abe and Abe. I forget exactly what it was, but like they were brothers in law. Uh, and Abe knew that they were coming for Johnny to, to put him in the gas chamber and he hid him in the hole in the wall and like fed him through the hole in the wall. And he was just in this hole in the wall for, I think like two months before, uh, Auschwitz was liberated. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's like, both of these guys, like their wives, sisters, kids, Everybody was sent to the gas chamber like they were they were uh, forced to like cut their wife's hair before sending him to the gas chamber. And then uh, uh, Easy tells the story about like when he was in. I don't know if it was Auschwitz or just like a different uh, concentration camp that like they liberated as Americans in World War Two. And he tell, uh, what's the guy's name? I forget if I wrote it down. Um, Hitler. No. <laughs> uh, uh, I didn't write it down, but it was a guy that, that uh, you know, that was in his platoon, was in Easy's platoon. And he's like, yeah, we freed this camp. And like this, you know, eight-year-old, nine-year-old Jewish boy, like, you know, as skinny as a skeleton, like ran up. And he like wrapped his arms around like the gunner who was like this big guy and like refused to let him go. And like, he was like, ah, he's a little tree rat. And like, they called, he called him tree rat, but then he was like, ah, it's, that's mean. So he called him like tree boy. He was like, this boy just like clung to his back. Like, like you wouldn't believe. And, and, you know, he took care of him. And like, you know, he got him uh, a bunch of chocolate and like, you know, he, he was never so thankful. And then the kid freaking died that night from eating the chocolate because he was like, you know, so emaciated that when he introduced that into his body, it killed him. The like shock of it. Tom, nothing that you've said in the last five minutes has been very funny. It's not meant to be. And he, and then he just talks about how this gunner like cried for a day solid and like and how easy was like we were all like we all gave him chocolate like we thought we were we didn't know and like how just like the whole platoon just felt tremendous guilt. So anyway, uh, and then uh, he's talking about Johnny and Abe and about how Johnny like you know understandably went crazy after the war. And uh, Jackson's like, yeah, I like brought this girl with me one night. He says it was a high school girl, which is already like, oh, all right. (laughs) Uh, There's a lot of weird stuff in this book, huh? Yeah. And he's like, I brought this girl. And it was the 40s. And he's like, uh, Johnny was like, oh, hey, uh, I'll give you five dollars to have sex with me. And he had sex with this girl I brought to the liquor store behind the counter right in front of me. And the guy was like, I was just like so scared I didn't do anything. That was just like, oh, I'm just going to let this happen. Like, this guy's nuts. Um, But anyway, they get there. And uh, uh, I forget who's working, if it's Johnny or Abe. 
But uh, they like, ha- you know, uh, uh, Easy's like, yeah, I want to buy liquor. I'm having a party. They haggle a bit and they, you know, arrive at a price. And then uh, he's like, all right, great. Oh, he had already found out from Jackson through like a clever, uh, you know, uh, 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 detective trick that the uh the deliveries from frank come on thursdays and this is a wednesday so he's like great we've made a deal i'll come tomorrow to pick up those uh those cases like why don't we make a deal now he's like i'll come i don't have that money on me i'll come tomorrow and then johnny it's johnny the crazy guy i i see it in my notes now he's like oh well i'm not gonna have those cases till friday he's like all right then friday oh no he does a good like i can't get him to He's like, get I can't. your story straight, Tom. No, if you need to, just lie. He does. I won't a, know the difference. He does a good job of like, I can't get him tomorrow, and he's like, Nah, not till Friday. He's like, All right, but like in his head, he's like, Ah, that's when Frank's coming on Friday. Great, that's what I actually want. And Jackson's like, Hey, what are you trying to do? And he's like, I'm just trying to have a party. He's like, You're looking for Frank. He's like, I'm not looking for Frank. I'm having a party. He's like, You invite me to the party. He's like, Guess what? Come to my party. Like all right, <laughs> so <laughs> so now he has to plan a party. Yeah, but but all he's really thinking about is that he's gonna meet up with Frank and like make a deal with Frank of like, hey, th- this is what's going on. Somebody's looking for you. I'll I'll break. Tom, let me ask you one thing. Mm-hmm. Who's Frank? Frank is knife hand. Oh right, okay, okay. Well, let's Frank, call him Knifehead. Frank Green, um, yeah. that and that's who Albright wants. Uh, Dewitt Albright wants him to find. So he's like, I'm gonna see Frank a day. But I'm gonna see Frank, you know, at tomorrow or the next day. I'm gonna make a deal with him. I'm gonna level with him about everything. I'm gonna make a deal. Frank's gonna pay me to like you know uh get away or whatever and then i'll tell albright like oh this is where he's gonna be and he won't be there does albright care if uh frank is brought to him dead or alive um i think he wants him alive because he just wants to find uh uh daphne monet oh i might have gotten some of that wrong but anyway that's what i took away from it uh chapter 21 he goes to Joppy's. Remember Joppy? Joppy is... Yeah, I like Joppy, the, the bartender. The bartender. He's got the bar above the slaughterhouse. Um, he figured out through his detectivery, he's like, Joppy, you told Daphne that I was looking for you because only Coretta and DeWitt knew that I was looking for Daphne and the number Daphne called me on is unlisted, and nobody has that number except you, Joppy. And he's like, ah, you got me. He's like, Daphne's pretty. I want to help her. Uh, he was like, Daphne would come here all the time with Frank Green. As soon as DeWitt came here looking for her, I, I knew he was looking for her, a very pretty girl. I recognized her picture. Um, he was like, I thought I'd make you a few bucks easy you know, looking for her because because the wit was going to pay whether he found her or not. And mm-hmm. I was going to give her a heads up. Hey, somebody's looking for you so she could make herself scarce. Um, Joppy knew. Uh, yeah. The oh, things that, that. Hey, you know what about books like this? What? Things are never as they seem. No, of course not. 
Um, so, th- and that's why uh, Joppy like told Easy to like ease off looking for. Her. He's like, "Oh, I didn't mean for you to like take this job seriously. I thought this was just gonna be some quick money for you." Like, ah, I looked, I couldn't find her. Um, he goes home after being at the bar. This is when he, I think, again notices like something up with his house. And he's like, "I didn't leave that gate untied." And all of a sudden, he sees stars. He's he's been hit. Kapow! Yeah, blam! Guess who hit him? The Albright. No, Frank Green. Frank, knife hand. Uh, knife hand. Yeah, what I was going to say earlier was knife hand probably hit him. Yeah, so knife hand takes him into the house and he's going to kill him. He's got the knife pressed into his neck so hard that it's cutting him. It's drawing it cut blood. Cut his neck open and killed him. No, it didn't cut his neck open and killed him, but it was really in there. Um, but then all of a sudden, somebody comes up behind Frank Green. Guess who it is? You're, I mean, you're not going to guess. Daphne Monet. No, that's actually not a bad guess, but it was Mouse. Ah, old Mouse. And Mouse Was has... this guy also, was Knife Hand his other stepfather? No, but Mouse... Ma- then I would say, Mouse has a problem with his stepfathers. <laughs> right. No, but Mouse is like, you called Etta... And she told me, you were looking for me. I figured you were in trouble. And uh, Mouse has a freaking forty-four caliber uh, pistol pointed at uh, at Frank Green, which is like a cannon. Um, so, Frank... Tom, you love guns, right? No, I don't love guns, but I know a forty-four caliber is a big gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and he's like, you know, uh, what's going on here? And there's like a bunch of commotion or whatever, and and uh, uh, Frank winds up escaping. Uh, then we find out that Easy slept with Etta May while she was engaged to Mouse. Easy's a bad friend. Yeah, he's not a great friend, and we he fi- almost did that with that other lady that wound up getting murdered. Exactly, uh, and he's but he does say like Mouse doesn't really care. That, like, Mouse didn't care about women, like, who slept with or his women? Or was it, like, Mouse didn't care about her, So and I cared about her? No, it was more like Mouse... I think Mouse is maybe a polygamist, according to Easy. <laughs> that okay. M- Mouse care Like, if you steal from Mouse, or if you get between him and money, you'll be dropped without a second thought, but, like, if you have sex with, like, a woman he's with, he's like, eh, whatever. Like, we're all human. Okay. Um, Mouse, chill about some things. <laughs> not chill about incredibly others. Incredibly unchill about other things. Yeah. But Mouse wants to help. Uh, so Frank gets away, but Mouse wants to help him. Um, and, like, they have it out about, uh, like, Easy tells him, like, hey, remember when we, like, went to see your stepdad and then you killed him? That sucked for me. I've been really guilty about that. And Mouse is like, ah, oh, all right. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll uh, I'll help you out with this. Um, so they they decide I'll to kill s- your stepfather. <laughs> no, they decide to split up. So uh, Easy's like, I'm gonna go find Daphne. Mouse, you go find Frank. And they're like, great. Let's. It's the morning. Let's go outside. Who comes up the the steps? But Miller and Mason, the two dirty cops. Uh, oh, okay. And they're back. 
uh, Mouse lies to them and like Easy's impressed because they're they're like, hey, where are you going, pal? He's like, ah, I'm going to eighth and thirteenth. They're like, where do you, what's there? He's like, that's where I live, right above the soda shop. And they're like, all right. And Easy's like, that was all horseshit. <laughs> like, wow, he did a really good job coming up with that. They that mouse, t- a good liar, an impressive liar. They take Easy in and they're like, hey, Easy, guess what? Frank Green is dead. Matthew Terran, the guy who was running for mayor, the guy who like picked him up in a limo and had like a yeah. kid with him, he's also dead. Wow. Uh, and and we're looking for I forget if they said Frank Green was dead. I think they did. Uh they're looking for Richard McGee's killer and they like easy for it. Um Wait, they like him for it? They they think it was him, basically. Okay. Yeah, okay. And um yeah, he's like pretty like tells them like, yeah, we walked in. I don't know, this dude was dead and this lady stopped speaking French and ran away. <laughs> um and they're like, "Well, we're running the fingerprints on that knife and if your fingerprints were on that knife, you're in big trouble, pal." And he's like, I know my fingerprints aren't on that knife. I didn't touch the knife, but they might just pin it on me because they need That's somebody. That's how it to, works. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But he's like, they would do that if this were a black guy who was killed, but it was a white guy. So they actually want to find the killer. So he plays it cool. Even when they like bring in the results and they're like, in an envelope, like, here are the results. And he opens up the envelope. He's like, ooh, it doesn't look good. And Easy still plays it cool and until it gets to the point of like, all right, it wasn't you. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they let him go. Mouse picks him up and suggests to him that they go to Dupree's to figure out what's what to do next. However, Did he say, you, me, and Dupree. <laughs> We'll get together. No, the movie hadn't come out at this point, so the, All right, but it would have been it would have been fitting. We'll uh, figure this out. You, me, and Dupree, and then they head over to Dupree's house. Well, that's what he suggests. But Easy thinks I've got a different idea, and then the chapter ends. So it's like you know that detective thing of like, oh, Easy's on to something. He's seeing something the rest of us aren't. And he's yeah. like, yeah, we could do that, or we could do what happens in the next chapter. Have you read ahead? No, I was very, very tempted, especially today, to read ahead. But I was like, I don't want to know what happens in the end. I can't play dumb, you know, convincingly enough. Um, I'm looking forward to watching this movie because I like Denzel Washington. Who doesn't like Denzel Washington? Idiots, jerks. I was gonna say his ex-wife, he, he, he but he doesn't have an, one time. He doesn't have an ex-wife. Mm. He's still married to the same woman, I believe. Mm. Maybe he has an ex-wife, but it would be the kind of thing of like he got married young. But I don't yeah, think like that's a Tom Hanks situation. Who did he get married to? He was married before um, Rita Wilson. To whom? Um, some lady. You're thinking of bosom buddies, Sam. That wasn't legal. Uh, Denzel Washington has not been. uh, Denzel Washington has had one marriage. Pauletta Pearson. When did they get married? 1983. Wow. 
Yeah. Um, Calvin almost, Hanks. Almost 40 years ago. Wow, he was young. 27? Um, Four children. Tom Hanks married his first wife in 1978. Oh. Well, he beat um, him. So he was only 22, yeah. Wow, That well, that's very young. That's young Tom Hanks. And Colin Hanks was a result of that marriage, as well as Elizabeth Hanks, who's a lady that I don't know. I but didn't... Chet- I did not know that Colin Hanks was not uh, Rita Wilson's son. Yeah, but don't worry, Chet Hayes is. <laughs> so Rita Wilson's the bad, the bad <laughs> genes. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we could have figured that out. Look, Chet Hayes, he's fine, I think, probably. I think he means well, and he, he's young, right? I don't think he's that young anymore. But like when he was when he was most offensive, he was young. Was he even offensive though? I feel like I was gonna say that he was I, just a shitty rapper, right? And I was gonna say I feel like if he wanted more attention, he could have gotten it by being shitty. You know right. what I mean? Chester Marlin Hanks. A.K.A. Chet Hanks, but like he well, could have, he could have become huge if he had like a a public. If he put out an album that was like a beef about his dad, I'd listen to that album just out of curiosity. Yeah, no, I don't want to know. I don't want to hear anything <laughs> bad about Tom. Hanks. But that's what I'm saying. He didn't do that kind of thing. There's so much about Tom Hanks that I don't know. <laughs> Did you know that Tom Hanks has type two diabetes? I didn't know that. Huh. You Did know you what? know that Tom Hanks practices transcendental meditation? No, I didn't know that. He's not very public with it then. No. Huh. Did you know that he's a Greek citizen? I did know that. Yeah, of course. Well, that happened somewhat recently, I think, right? Yeah. One thing, as much as I love Tom Hanks, the one thing I'll never do is read his book of short stories. Because <laughs> it's just like, I know how this got published. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> well, have you watched Greyhound yet? No, not yet. It's pretty good. Like, it's not uh, an extremely memorable movie, but he wrote that, and it's pretty good. Yeah. And, like, the the criticisms I saw of it was like, we didn't hear enough about his character. We didn't learn enough about him. It's like the movie's 90 minutes. It's great. I don't care about his character. Yeah. When the, the movie's the 90 act- minutes, you can you can forgive any, like, oh, the characterization wasn't great. It's like, yeah, that's because they didn't really have time, but I guess yeah. it, but it really kept moving, didn't it? The movie's 90 minutes, and eight minutes in, my palms started sweating. Like, that was how, like... It's just like, nope, this movie doesn't have a first or third act. This movie's all just second act. Uh, it was great. I For what it was, it was great. Like, I'm not going to say it goes down as, like, one of the pinnacles of filmmaking. But he wrote it, and it's taut, let me tell you. Taut. That's all I can ask for in a movie. I started watching, I've watched about two-thirds of uh, 2005's War of the Worlds. Uh, starring Tom Cruise. Did you uh, did they CGI out the Scientology conversion tent on set? 
<laughs> I don't know if they actually captured that on camera, Tom. You've heard about that, though, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That Spielberg um, that was a, like, fine, whatever. Yeah, that was a bleak movie, Tom. That was... Uh, yeah. I was curious about... Well, number one, uh, HBO Go on the Roku goes away tomorrow. So I was just kind of... Uh, I've heard... I read something today on Variety in the Skeens. Uh, I picked up the, my copy of Variety magazine off my doorstep. And um, it was talking about how like Amazon has made a deal with HBO, but only to allow HBO Now to turn into the HBO app and continue working. But then they also said something about, like, they'll continue to allow HBO Now to be authorized through August 30th. Like, this is it's so, so confusing. Just make yeah. everything work. It's fine. They're going to figure Everybody. something out. The, yeah, they better. But so I was I was like, I got to watch something before this app goes away. And so I just yeah. wore the world for some reason because I was like... <laughs> I was curious about the 9-11 imagery in it that I've heard oh, okay, so much yeah. about. Yeah, I don't know. But it's just a bleak movie. It's it's no fun. If you there's wanna... no, like, you know, in every Spielberg movie, there's at least some sort of, like, hope, fun or, like, yeah. sense of wonder in it. And right. this is just fucking bleak. Yeah. Yeah, I actually remember watching that movie and thinking, like, oh, this is darker than I expected it to be. Yeah. It wasn't bad. Um, if you are looking for something on HBO, may I recommend Perry Mason? Oh, um, you may recommend that. I mean, I can't, I can't start watching it now. I've only uh, watched the first two episodes, but, uh, so far I like it. Does it go like this? No. Uh, but it's actually very similar to this in that, uh, uh, uh devil, devil in a blue in a dress blue. in that Perry. You were Ma- pointing to your copy of your book that you were holding <laughs> up like the Bible in, uh, the difference both take place in LA, both focus on a private detective. Uh, but Perry Mason is a world war one veteran dealing with his PTSD from World War One, but in a in a pretty similar way to how Easy is dealing with like the atrocities he's seen. Mm. Uh so yeah, I found it interesting. And also thinking about how it was like, oh, this was only like fifteen years later, like, but that's fucked that there was another world war. <laughs> another whole war with the whole world in it. <laughs> yeah, in in that frame of time. Because I'm watching it, especially like the first episode, I think they didn't mention the date. And I was like, wait, is he a World War One veteran or World War Two? I'm not sure if this is the 30s or 40s. And I was like, oh, that must suck shit. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I've heard about Perry Mason was they established or i heard a couple things number one they established the tone in the first uh scene where you see an actual dead baby um, <laughs> yeah. um and that this was robert downey jr's passion project right and then he just like abruptly dropped out and then like all the uh attached writers and directors also dropped out oh really but hbo was still like all right let's set this up with 
somebody else, I guess. And they I mean, just he it. he and his wife are still producers on it. Yeah. I'll tell you this much. Uh, I yelped during season two when all of a sudden Steven Root walked in. Steven Root walks in in the most unexpected places, but then you're just like, you know what? He's perfect. He's perfect in this. Yeah. He walks in and has a very uh, uh, tense conversation with Jonathan Lithgow. John Lithgow's in it too? Yeah. He's like, he's... So, like, I don't know how much Steven Root is is actually going to be in it. I think a lot because he's the DA, but he doesn't show up till see, till episode two. But John Lithgow is, like, in it, in it. Like, one of the leads. Lithgow and Root can't go wrong. I'm I, in. Watching the two of them together because it's, like, Root's the DA and Lithgow's the defense attorney. And watching them together, poetry in motion. Thanks for being a patron. We'll see you next week for the conclusion. Nobody's listening anymore. Of Devil in a Blue Dry. Yeah, like these are normally off mic conversations that we have. (laughs) But why not? Put in a little thing beforehand. Like you could turn it off now. They're going to talk about HBO for no reason. Uh, Well, if you're listening, uh, we appreciate you. See you next week. See you next week.